0: morning to everybody down here in the well. Good morning everybody upstairs in the well cafe. It is such a good day to be in worship. I'm glad everybody is here uh, joining together. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. I have the honor to serve as the lead pastor of this worshiping community that's meeting in two different places at the same time. It's a crazy thing that we do here uh, at The Well. Uh, Just so thankful you're here. And if this is your first time, special welcome to you. I'd love to meet you right after the service. If you brought your Bibles today, uh, we are going to be turning or clicking over to Acts chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible with you, we have blue ones in both spaces. Uh, on, in those Bibles, you can find Acts 2 on page 1693. We were in Acts 2 last week, uh, and we looked at the first 41 verses. We covered a lot of ground last week. Uh, this week, we're just going to look at six, so you can get out in time to see the Cowboys. Right? Uh, not that that's really a prize. I don't know, but <laughs> uh, we're going to look at the final six verses of uh, of Acts chapter two. Uh, dive a little deep into that today. So this is week two of our sermon series, this special super series called Family Meeting. Now we call this A Super Series, because along with all of our weekend teaching that we do here in the church, we have also uh, created some supplemental resources uh, that go with your groups, whether you're in a Sunday school class or a small group, uh, that help you explore this topic a little more in depth. I know many of you have uh, begun those in your groups and in your classes already, and I hope you're finding those useful. So that's why we call this a Super Series, because uh, we want to hit it from both ends, not only our small groups, but also in the weekend services. And we're calling this series Family Meeting... We're calling it family meeting because we believe that the church, and more specifically this church, should be a family. That's what we believe, that that that's how we should act and and live out our lives with one another. And we believe when we look at great families, one of the things great families do is, is they are intentional about who they are as a family, and they're also very intentional about where they're going. If we wanted to say that another way, we would say this, that great families have established values that they live into together and they hold each other accountable to. They hold each other faithful to those values, but they also have a shared vision that they try to live out together. In order to accomplish these goals, to talk about vision and values, to understand what it means to be a church family, a great church family, Uh, To understand who we are called to be and what we're called to do, we have to answer two very important questions first. Last week, uh, we answered the first of those questions. We're going to answer the second one this week. Those two questions are when we talk about the church being a family, we first have to understand what do we mean by church? When we say the word church, what do we mean by that? And the second question is what do we mean by family? When we finally understand what we, what we mean by church, then what do we mean when we say family and the church should be a family? So like I said last week, we started with the first of those two questions. We asked the question, what is the church? What do we mean by that? And we asked that question because church can be a difficult word to, de- to define. If you ask anybody what the word church means to them, they might come up with a variety of different things. Uh, and what we found was that all of those things are true. All of those things are things that describe what the church is. But when we looked back at Acts chapter 2, and we looked at the beginning of the church, when the church was born, we saw that the church was born out of this, this thing that, that happened. It was this movement of the Spirit it wasn't born because there was a building that they needed to occupy and call it a church. It didn't happen because there was a preacher there and they needed something and somebody to preach to, so they started calling this thing church. It didn't happen because people were bored on Sundays. That church happened because people had a story to tell. There were people there, they had this story within them about God's love, about God's grace, and they had to tell it. And they told it with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was moving, and so they joined with that movement of the Spirit to tell their story in a new and refreshing way, in a way that it had never been told before. It was an amazing thing. So when we say church, when we say what do we mean by church, we mean that church is not a monument to our past. It's not a thing that we've just done over the years, and so we just continue to do it because our parents did it, and now we do it. And we want our kids to do it. It's not a monument to our past, but rather it's a movement of the Spirit. And hopefully, it's a fresh movement of the Spirit each and every time. That's what we mean by church. So we're going to finish off laying the groundwork for this series this week by answering the second of those two questions is, well, what do we mean by family? When we refer to the church as a family, what do we mean by that? Because again, you could ask everybody in this room, everybody upstairs in the loft, you could ask, what does the word family mean to you? What does family look like to you? And you might get a lot of different answers. So let's examine this word family first and foremost before we can attach it to this word church. We know that families come in all shapes, all sizes, uh, all types of compositions. The family that you have now might not look like the family that you had growing up. I know that's true for me. My family now, uh, my beautiful wife and I, and we have uh, our son, Charlie, who just turned six. Uh, We adopted him three years ago. And that's our little family. It's very different than the family that I had growing up. Growing up, uh, I had my mom and dad who are here today. Hello, mom and dad. Uh, Mom and dad, uh, there was me, and then there were three other brothers as well. So it was a much larger family and a lot more boys in, in, in the house. Uh, it just looked a little different, and, and, and that may be true for you, too. Growing up in a large family, I had to learn something very quickly. It's just a reality of life. It's a reality of being a family. It's true of small families, too. But when you are in a family, uh, especially a large family, you learn very quickly that being in a family means you have to share. And you share all types of things, right? We shared a space. There was a home that we shared. Uh, my, uh, one of my brothers and I, when we were much younger, we shared a room. Uh, we had to share our toys, um, which wasn't quite as fun, but, you know. We shared our toys. We shared clothes. You might have been a younger sibling, and so you know this, right? Like all the clothes just kind of waterfall down all the children, right? And you, you got those clothes. You rarely got the new clothes. It was always the older sibling that got the new clothes. Uh, you had to share your clothes. Uh, we had to share the same air, which sometimes the quality was better than others, uh, especially in a house full of boys. But we had to share that. We, we had to share all types of things. Sharing was just the name of the game. We shared our sicknesses. When somebody was ill, everybody was ill in the house, right? You know how this works. But sharing can be hard. It can be messy. It's a reality in our families, but it's not always fun, especially when I didn't want to share my toys. Especially when I didn't want to be sick if somebody else was sick. Especially if I didn't want to share the same air as my brother when it became less enjoyable to be around that person Sharing things wasn't always fun. It wasn't always easy. Sometimes it was messy, and sometimes it was hard. But I also know, as I look back, that when we share things together, there's a richness there. There's a depth, something deeper going on when we share, that I don't know that I quite appreciated then that I do now. You see, in a family, when somebody was hurting in the house... We shared that. Everybody could feel that. And we would gather around and we would share that hurt and, and we, would, we would seek to comfort each other. In the house, when somebody was excited about something, really joyful, maybe something really great happened in school or they had a great you know, baseball game or something, when there was excitement in the house, we shared in that excitement as well. We celebrated with each other. We provided for each other. When somebody messed something up and got in trouble, we had to share that too, right? You know this, like if your sibling got in trouble, if, like say if I did something in the house, which I would never do anything wrong ever, but if I did, hypothetically had done anything wrong ever uh, growing up, I, was that you mom that laughed really loud? <laughs> if, if anything of it had happened, my brothers had to pay for that too, right? Right? either because now my parents are aware of this thing that could get you in trouble, but or when one of us was grounded, we were all grounded. And parents, you know this too, right? Like if, you're, if you have to discipline your child and they're in trouble, like you're kind of in trouble too because you're the one that has to monitor that. Like if Charlie now, our son Charlie, if he, if he messes up and he loses his TV privileges, right? I'm gonna be real with you, real parent time. The TV is a really great babysitter. You know it. And so if he loses his TV privileges, that means daddy loses his alone time privileges as well. <laughs> you know, it's true. Like, I'm kind of punished. That is no incentive for, for disciplining my child. This is... But you shared in that. You shared in that, in that, in that time, and, and, and you helped keep each other on the right course. You helped set each other straight. You gathered around each other. We weren't a a, a perfect family. No family is perfect, but we tried. We had this vision and these values that we sought to live by. In our best days, we lived those really well. It was important. We taught each other. We provided for each other. We shared life, and that's what great families do. They share life. Because families aren't just a random collection of individuals. right? It's not just a bunch of people that happen to be in the same place at the same time. That's what we call a crowd, right? A family, a family are people that are united by a common identity, sharing life together. That's what a family is. They come in all shapes and sizes, but they are united by a common identity, and they're sharing life together. Great families are invested in one another. They're not simply content with just being under the same roof or in the same place, And if you're a member of that family, you have to contribute, right? You have to do the dishes sometimes. You have to take out the trash sometimes. You have to pick up after yourself. You contribute. That means you not only enjoy the benefits of being in the family, of being supported and provided for, but you also reinvest yourself. You sacrifice yourself. You contribute so that the family life together is the best that it can be. And I think this is the very concept that we see beginning to form here in the early days of the church in Acts chapter 2. The same concept of sharing life is highlighted by this community of Jesus followers immediately following the events of Pentecost. So let's look together at the end of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. When we last left our friends, the apostles, they had followed the movement of the Spirit to tell their story of God's power and love that they experienced through their time with Jesus to the thousands of people that had gathered there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And when they did that, verse 41, just before the the part that we read, it says about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I said it last week, I'll say it again. That is a great day in church. What an incredible day. I mean, that, that's pretty good. I, one minute, I'm a disciple. I'm sitting in the room wondering what the heck we're going to do next. Like Jesus told us to go and make disciples, but what does that mean and how do we do it? And then I feel this movement of the Spirit like a, like a violent wind is how it describes it. And so then I just follow that movement. I step out, begin to tell my story in a language, in languages that I didn't even know I knew. And as I do that, I see people drawn in, and then they are asking, how do we become a part of this thing that you're telling us about now? Now, if I'm one of those disciples, I might be real tempted to think like, well, that's it. like We've done our bit, right? This is surely what Jesus meant. We did our thing, and now there's 3,000, and now we're done. At the very least, I would be worried that the next time I got up and preached a sermon, that 3,000 didn't come and be saved, right? Like only four people. I'm like, oh man, come on now, right? I should celebrate these four, but it's not 3,000, right? Like I would be tempted to stop there because I'd certainly done my part by now, I, I would assume. But it didn't. It didn't stop there. This new group continued to meet together, to pray with one another, to pray for one another, to worship together, to serve each other, to provide for one another, to take care Of one another as they had needs. And not only that, but they also took care of those outside their group. Outside of this 3,000 that came and decided they were going to follow Jesus, they took care of everybody else outside them too. Look at the scriptures there when it says they sold their property and their possessions to take care of people so that they could have more resources to bless people. That's incredible. It's an incredible movement of the Spirit within somebody. And what I find really interesting about this community, as you see in these six verses, the way this new Jesus community, this new family of believers, uh, the way it's characterized, what I find very interesting about this is that these, these communities, these families look a lot like the community, the family that the disciples, the 12 disciples had come to know while they were with Jesus. While they walked and talked with Jesus, they would gather with Jesus all the time, they worshipped Together. They prayed with and for one another. They served those that they came into contact. They fed the hungry. They they healed the sick. They cast out demons. They served others. They gave to those that they had need. They listened to Jesus' teaching and they grew as disciples. Very much the characteristics that are lined out here in Acts 2 of what this new community would be like. It looks very much like the community that they had with Jesus. And now these disciples, who if you've noticed, are now being referred to as apostles. They didn't make. They didn't tell you that that change was going to happen. They just start calling them apostles now. Side note, if you're wondering why that is, uh, the, the Greek there, apostolos, that's my show-off moment for today. Apostolos, when they refer to the apostles, means this, one who is sent away. One who is sent away. So as disciples, they were Asked to stay in, to learn, to grow, to be taught by a rabbi, Jesus. And now as Jesus has ascended into heaven, they become apostles because they are sent out to continue that work. So that's your fun fact for today. Uh, And as part of that commitment to carry on that work that Jesus had begun in them and begun around them, there was this commitment to care for each other. That was embedded in the whole idea, the whole life that they had shared together was to continue to share together, to care for one another. What they understood was that a commitment to Jesus, a commitment to following Jesus meant a commitment to caring for one another. This this went hand in hand. You could not separate one from the other for them. That if they were going to commit themselves to being followers of Jesus, that meant that they were going to commit themselves to caring for those around them that they met If you're working through the small group curriculum, uh, either in your Sunday school class or in your small group, you're going to hear Pastor David say this over and over and over again throughout the sessions and especially this session today. So spoiler alert. Um, What we find in this very early picture of the church is that these first followers understood their faith in Christ as creating for themselves a new relationship with God and a new relationship with one another. I'll say that again. As people understood their faith in Christ, that meant that they were creating a new relationship with God and also a new relationship with one another. Now, as I do for most sermons, as I, I sit down, I kind of know the topic and, the, and where we're going to go. And I sit down to research. Uh, I'll read scripture. I'll read the same scripture each and every day. Ask God, I'll pray, speak Speak through this. What, what are you trying to speak through this scripture? I also study a lot with scholars that spend their whole lives locked in a room studying scripture, right? And write a bunch of boring books. I read those things, uh, hoping to, to glean a little bit of wisdom from them. And as I was reading, I was finding, I was surprised my findings, that there were a lot of these scholarly, uh, biblical scholars that were critical of the way Luke described the early church community. These six verses here, they would read it and they were like, "Ah, I'm not sure this is historically accurate for these communities. I think this might be Luke's hope for these communities. This might be the ideal community, but this isn't really what they did. And I was, I was quite surprised by that because I had always assumed when they wrote this down, this is just somebody who was going by with each of those groups, check and roll, and making sure they were doing all of those things that they were supposed to do. And that somehow it was just perfect back then. And over time, we have just screwed this thing up called church. But there's more evidence to that. If you look further on, right? In chapter two of Acts, we see the church is born. We end chapter two with this ideal community. It doesn't take long. You get to chapter 5, and there's Ananias and Sapphira, right? We're going to test you on that later. Uh, chapter 5, and you find these two that are doing the thing that is very much asked of these new communities here, which is to sell possessions, give it to the apostles, the disciples, these groups, so that they can then distribute it as it's needed. And long story short, you find in this story that they're not fully honest with how much they were able to get for the things that they sold, Right? And you see it like right off the bat. I mean, this was only three chapters ago, and already this community is starting to break down with people that don't seem to quite get it right, aren't fully invested, not fully committed to what it means to care for one another. But then you go to the very next chapter. You have chapter 6, you have chapter 7, you have chapter 8 where you find a guy named Stephen. Stephen, who's so dedicated, so committed to his new faith, that he has brought before the Sanhedrin, right? Like, this is a big, like, committee of, like, super smart religious people. And they are so mad at him because he's preaching this new gospel of Jesus. And he doesn't back down. He's so committed, he's so firm in what he believes, and he believes in it so much that he stands before them and tells us, and it gets him killed later. He dies. He's executed, basically, because of this new faith that he has. And immediately following that, you'll read the story of Philip, who's traveling around, and he comes across a a Gentile slave, right and and what that means gentile just means non-jewish and in these early times there was a lot of questions about could i be christian if i were not jewish right jesus was jewish so that must mean i have to be jewish to be a christ follower there was a lot of questions surrounding that there weren't any rules about that yet in fact there were actually rules that said you could not if you were not jewish be a part of this new community but philip encounters this gentile slave and says that sees them reading the scripture approaches them, helps them understand what they're saying. And when this Gentile says, what's, what's keeping me from being baptized then? And Philip looks around and shrugs his shoulders, I don't know. Let's do it. You know, find a puddle on the ground. They take him over and they baptize him right then. Brand new ways that the spirit was moving. And you see it. So you see these moments where people are failing at this new community thing. But you also see these moments where in, in these moments in radical new ways. How the Spirit is moving and how people are living into this commitment, not only to follow Jesus, but to care for one another. So what I've come to believe through the study, through, through looking at uh, this Scripture and reading the scholars and, and whatnot, what I've come to believe about this and what I've come to, what I have experienced in my time in church, being a church attender and, and working in church and pastoring a church, is that these characteristics that we see in these six verses define Define this new community of people. These characteristics, worshiping together, sharing in communion, praying for and with one another, serving each other, providing for others, caring for each other. That these define the characteristics of the community that the Spirit of God is going to be creating. It's the community that Jesus created with the disciples and is now, as these apostles go forward, these new communities, they are going to be defined by the work of the Spirit and that is worshiping God communing together, praying for one another, and serving each other. So where you see these characteristics, you're seeing a movement of the Spirit. Even more than that, when you see these characteristics, you can know for certain that the Spirit is at work in that community of people because they understand themselves in this new way, under this unified purpose and identity. And the Spirit is moving within them to care for each other and to care for others. And as you see throughout the the rest of Acts, if you were to read through that, as you would see, that no family is perfect. These communities are not perfect. They get it right sometimes and they get it wrong sometimes. Even families that have that common identity that seek to live in the best way possible, they don't get it right every time. But they claim this common identity, they share this same purpose and the same identity. And they're pursuing that together, they're pursuing that shared vision together. And they want to hold each other faithful to it. People that are committed to following Christ are people that are committed to caring for each other. And I truly believe that the church is at its best when it does those things. The church is at its absolute best when it remembers that it it should operate like a great family. When people aren't content to simply slip into church and and then slip out and hoping to go unnoticed. When people aren't just a random assortment of individuals that find their seat and they come and, and then they go and, and, and then they just wait till the next time they're going to be here. But rather, people that are committed to following Jesus and committed to caring for one another. When they show up to this building that we call church and they're, and they're worshiping together with those that are sitting around them when they're committed to praying for one another and praying with each other, when they're committed to serving one another, and when you say things like, how's it going? It's not just another way of saying hello, right? But you, how is it going? And if it's good, you're celebrating. And if it's not, how can I serve you? How can I be praying for you? How can I support you and care for you in this time? How can we provide for one another? Churches all over this world are dying. People are leaving. But I believe the churches that are growing, the the type of churches that people are going to be attracted to, the the type of churches that people are going to be flocking to and investing themselves in are are the churches that are living into this very mission, that understand who they are and they're living into it, they're stepping into it boldly and bravely no matter what's going on around them. They're sharing the good news and they're serving with one another. It's not the lights, it's not the music, it's not the preaching as much as that depresses me that's gonna bring people into the church and keep them there. It is a church that is living into its identity to care for one another, to be a family. It's the warmth that comes from being a great family. That means if we do all these other things well, if we play great music, if we keep the building nice and tidy, if I preach a a funny yet inspiring serious uh, sermon, (laughs) if I do all of those things but we're not a family, we're not caring for each other, then we have lost our direction and we have ceased to be great. And I believe that's the point when the church begins to decline. Because being committed to Jesus means being committed to care for one another but not just this community the church family doesn't exist exist solely for its own sake as we see when it begins and as we as we understand what it's modeled after we understand that the church exists as an extension of Jesus's ministry to bring salvation to the world The church exists as an extension of that ministry to bring salvation into the world. So if you look again at verse 47, the very end of what we read today, and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Connect those words, salvation, saved, that extension that the church has to others. So the church is a family. It should be a great family, but the church should always be expecting guests and always inviting guests into its home. To make people warm, make people feel warm and welcomed, to show them what it means to be a part of our family and accept them in as our own. Because what happens in these churches each and every Sunday, what happens in this church each and every Sunday, is there are families that come to attend, all shapes, sizes, makeups, they all come to attend. And there will be new families that will attend each and every week. And as those new families attend, there is a great potential for significant impact on those families. And as more and more families come and are, are, are blessed by you because you care for them and they go back to their homes, pretty soon multiple families becomes a whole neighborhood that is transformed. And when neighborhoods get transformed, pretty soon cities look incredibly different and so on and so on. This is the power of community. This is the power of, of the church caring for one another. Is that that gospel of love, that gospel of grace is actually experienced. It's not just talk. It becomes very real for people again. And then the faith family thrives and we see the world transformed. I want to close with this, this final question. that I, I told you we were going to answer the, only one question today. This is the second question is that there's, there's some people upstairs, there's some people down here um, that have this other question on your mind that I haven't addressed yet and that I want to address quickly as we, as we end today. And that's this. Who gets to belong to this family? Who, who gets to, what's the criteria for belonging to this family of faith? You call the church a family, and I, I understand all that stuff intellectually, but do I belong here? Is there a level of sin right, that I cannot cross, and if I have crossed it, am I not allowed to be a part of the family anymore? Am I simply a guest always? Who gets to belong to this family of faith? The answer to that question is you do. You do. All of you do. See, the church is not comprised of perfect people. None of us are perfect. The church is full of people that are in process, In the process of figuring out what it means to be a Jesus follower. In the process of trying to figure out what it means to care for each other. In the process of trying to figure out what it means to be a Jesus follower at work or or at home or with my buddies. like I'm trying to figure it out. I'm in process. God accepts us as we are, just as you are. Loves you too much to keep you that way, but accepts you just as you are. The church is full of people in process. And there's always room for another. My prayer for all of us is that as we begin to understand who we are as a church and we find our place here, that the church isn't a you. It's not them, it's not you, but it's a we. It's a we. And as everybody comes in these doors, whether you know them or not, that you're committed to caring for them because you're committed to following Jesus. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to be here together, to worship, God, to care for one another, to meet new people. God, we pray that as we see ourselves as part of this church family, as part of this family of faith, God, that we are are pushed forward out into the world, God, God, to extend the grace and the love that you have so generously given us to others. May we always see our faith, God, our commitment to be the follower of your son, Jesus. May we always see that as a commitment also to care for others. And may you open our eyes to the new and refreshing ways that we can do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.